This talk is brought to you by iBiology.org, and this audio was taken from a video available on our website. My name is Dan Littman. I'm a professor of molecular immunology at the Skirball Institute, uh, which is part of the New York University School of Medicine, and I'm also an investigator of the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. I'm going to continue uh, by telling you about uh, how the microbiota, uh, particularly the microbiota in the intestine, uh, function in the induction of uh, various types of T lymphocytes. In the first presentation, I went more into mechanism about... of how T helper 17 cells uh, differentiate. Uh, in this part, I'll talk about how different uh, microbes, uh, particularly microbes in the intestine, can influence the uh, differentiation of different types of, uh, of lymphocytes. The microbiota has been very much in the news in the last few years, as it has been recognized that uh, all the surfaces of our body are populated by many different species of microbes, and it has become much easier to... Uh, uh, to uh, survey uh, these microbes through new genomics tech, uh, approaches. Uh, it's been thought uh, in the past that the microbes that inhabit our bodies might be harmful, but we now know that many of these are beneficial. Uh, we have co-evolved uh, with these microbes, and uh, they provide benefits in terms of metabolism, in terms of... Uh, production of uh, 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 different types of vitamins, uh, and... Uh, and also in shaping uh, and developing our immune systems. Um, <clears throat> there are both uh, uh, bad and good consequences of being uh, colonized with different types of microbes. We know that there are hundreds of different microbes, uh, different species that inhabit our intestine, and uh, these can contribute uh, on the uh, downside to autoimmune diseases, uh, but on the other hand, they can also contribute uh, to better barrier defense uh, and... Uh, and also to uh, uh, developing better approaches uh, to cancer immunotherapy. Our own foray in this area started with our work on T helper 17 cells, which I discussed in the first part of the presentation. And uh, Th17 cells are abundant in the intestine, and uh, uh, we know that... Uh, uh, that uh, in the intestine there are many different types of lymphocytes, including innate lymphoid cells, such as the lymphoid tissue inducer cells, which are marked by the expression of ROR gamma T, in this case using a knock-in mouse in which GFP is inserted in the ROR gamma T locus. And you can see these structures just uh, beneath the epithelial layer uh, in the intestine that are called cryptopatches which are these inducer cells surrounded by dendritic cells. And in response to the microbiota, these cells uh, make chemokines that recruit B lymphocytes, and that leads to formation of uh, isolated lymphoid follicles, another type of tertiary lymphoid tissue, just like the cryptopatch. But in studying the, uh, these cryptopatches, uh, Ivo Ivanov, when he was a postdoctoral fellow in the lab, uh, realized that not only did he observe these GFP bright cells that are shown down here, uh, and uh, that are a very high level of our gamma T. But he also observed GFP intermediate cells uh, that are uh, positive for T cell antigen receptor, for alpha beta T cell receptors. And it turned out that these are Th17 cells. We teamed up with, uh, with the laboratory of uh, Dan Kua uh, at uh, what was then DNEX Institute. Uh, it's now part of Merck Research Laboratory, uh, because Dan had found that after treatment of cells with interleukin-23, one of the most highly upregulated genes was ROR gamma T. And we know, of course, that that is part of the differentiation process 
uh, for uh, Th17 cells. So what we did uh, once we found these intermediate GFP-positive cells was to stain with interleukin-17A antibody. And uh, sure enough, it's only these GFP uh, intermediate cells that express IL-17A intracellularly, the GFP negative cells uh, do not express. And uh, when uh, the uh, uh, raw gamma T gene was knocked out, what we found was that there were many fewer IL-17A producing T cells uh, in the intestine, particularly in the small intestine. But what we had noted was that there was a very large proportion of the CD4 positive T cells in the uh, small intestine that expressed interleukin 17. Uh, and uh, uh, then Ivo uh, Ivanov noted that uh, there were some animals that were purchased from different sites that had very few Th17 cells in the small intestine. And he was able to track that down with help, help of our collaborator, Kenya Honda to show that this was really due to the microbiota uh, uh, in the different populations of mice uh, from different vendors. So, for example, mice from Jackson Laboratory had very few Th17 cells. But when we looked by scanning electron microscopy in the small intestine, in the ileum of these mice, what we found was that the surface of the villi uh, had very few bacteria. On the other hand, mice from Taconic Laboratory, from Taconic Farms, a different vendor, had many Th17 cells among the CD4 cells in the intestine. And on scanning EM, now you see a very different picture. Uh, the surface of the villi is just uh, full of these uh, long filamentous organisms. And uh, in fact, uh, these are segmented uh, uh, bacteria that are shown here by a transmission electron micro micrograph uh, with false coloring. So you can see the segments formed by this bacterium as it embeds itself in the membrane uh, of the epithelial cell of the terminal ileum, where it uh, uh, induces an actin polymerization reaction. So it leads to a response in the, uh, uh, in the uh, uh, intestine that we don't really understand yet. Um, so, it turns out that these are segmented filamentous bacteria, a gram-positive organism that cannot yet be grown very easily in vitro. So, it's passaged in germ-free mice uh, that are colonized uh, with spores. It's a spore former. Uh, it's an anaerobe. Uh, and uh, it is found in many different species, although in human, it has not yet been uh, identified uh, uh, with, uh, 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 with confidence. Uh, there have been some reports that it may be present in human, uh, but it's still uh, unclear if that is the case. Uh, so, to really demonstrate that the SFB are responsible for the induction of Th17 cells, we had to do a version of Koch's postulates showing that we can transmit an organism uh, to a recipient that lacks it and now see a change in phenotype. With Koch's postulate, uh, the change in phenotype is typically uh, seeing a, uh, an infectious disease. In this case, what we're looking for is uh, an induction of Th17 cells. So, germ-free mice shown over here, have very few, if any, Th17 cells in the uh, intestine, as marked on this uh, fax plot by expression of interleukin-22 and interleukin-17A. However, within a week of colonizing the mice uh, with fecal material from mice that were uh, colonized only with SFB, these are mono-associated mice, you can see induction of both IL-17A and IL-22. Uh, and what this does is now to protect the barrier surface from pathogenic bacteria. So when these mice that are colonized are then infected with uh, a enteropathic bacterium, like a, an E. coli, or in the animal, in the mouse, a pathogen called uh, 
uh, Citrobacter rodentium, uh, the animals that have SFB are largely protected due to expression of these cytokines, both by the Th17 cells and by type 3 uh, innate lymphoid cells. But the flip side is that colonization with this bacterium can also precipitate disease. So, in a mouse model for uh, spontaneous arthritis, developed in the laboratory of Diane Mathis and Christophe Benoit, what they had noted was that these mice did not have any disease if they were kept in germ-free conditions. But in collaboration with them and Joyce Wu in their laboratory, uh, we were able to show that just colonization with SFB was sufficient uh, to induce arthritis uh, within just a few days. And that was a uh, uh, Th17-mediated disease. So, how is it that colonization in the intestine can now lead to uh, induction of T cells and to a systemic disease, such as arthritis or such as uh, a uh, model for multiple sclerosis that I'll tell you about uh, in the course of my presentation? What we now know is that the different bacteria that colonize different parts of the intestine, be it in the colon or be it in the the small intestine where SFB is, can induce different kinds of responses. So, SFB induces a Th17 response in the draining lymph nodes, the mesenteric lymph nodes, uh, that... uh, uh, where uh, drainage uh, proceeds via the lymphatics uh, from the the lamina propria in the intestine. The lamina propria is the tissue in the intestine just uh, uh, underneath the epithelial layer. And uh, what we were able to find was that the Th17 cells that are induced have T-cell antigen receptors specific for peptides derived from the uh, SFB. Other bacteria, like Listeria, uh, induce a very specific Th1 response. And uh, those uh, Th1 cells are specific for antigens uh, from the Listeria. And then Kenya Honda's group in Japan uh, showed very nicely that there are uh, a set of bacteria that are Clostridia, uh, gram-positive bacteria, uh, that uh, induce regulatory T cells. And they induce these uh, FOXP3-positive cells uh, in the large intestine, in this case, uh, rather than the small intestine where... Uh, SFB has its inductive fa- uh, function. Uh, I'm going to tell you about some of the work that we do uh, with another bacterium that induces regulatory T cells, Helicobacter. But a big question then is how is it that other bacteria like SFB can induce these uh, distal responses? And I'll focus a lot on telling you about SFB uh, induction of Th17 cells and then tell you about the Helicobacter hepaticus uh, that induces not only the regulatory T cells, similar to the Clostridia, but also has the propensity to induce Th17 cells that have a very different property from the Th17 cells induced by SFB, in that these Th17 cells are highly pathogenic and can uh, contribute to a spontaneous arthritis... Uh, a spontaneous colitis, uh, a, uh, even uh, uh, in, uh, in animals that are otherwise, uh, otherwise normal. Um, now, the, uh, the clostridia uh, have been shown to, to induce FOXP3 positive cells uh, through uh, one mechanism that is thought to be a fairly general mechanism for FOXP3 induction, and that is through uh, the uh, digestion of fiber into short-chain fatty acids. Short-chain fatty acids have been shown to work through a variety of G-protein-coupled receptors, uh, both on uh, uh, lymphoid cells as well as on non-lymphoid cells, uh, such as dendritic cells, and uh, and that uh, uh, activates the uh, uh, expression of FOXP3 and of other functions involved in regulatory T cells. But we generally know very little other than that about how the 
uh, regulatory T cells are induced, uh, or for that matter, how the Th17 cells are induced. And uh, we have looked at, uh, uh, at SFB colonization uh, to, and compared it to colonization with Helicobacter hepaticus to try to get some insights into Th17 and regulatory T cells. Now, SFB induce a Th17 response under homeostatic conditions, and even though these T cells are abundant, they do not typically promote uh, inflammation or colitis. Um, on the other hand, uh, Helicobacter hepaticus can induce this pathogenic response in animals that are deficient for interleukin-10, uh, or that in other ways uh, are, uh, uh, are prone to inflammation. And, uh, uh, we wanted to know what do the T cells do under normal circumstances upon colonization with Helicobacter hepaticus. Because in uh, animals with intact immune systems, uh, this is what's known as a pathobiont, a bacterium that, uh, that uh, is a symbiotic with, uh, with our own bodies, uh, with the body of the mouse in this case, uh, but uh, can induce a disease only when the system is perturbed uh, in some fashion. So, in order to do this, uh, what we did was to uh, colonize mice at the same time with both SFB and Helicobacter hepaticus. And then we introduced into these mice T lymphocytes that are specific for either uh, SFB or Helicobacter hepaticus. And we can distinguish these T cells, which have transgenic T cell receptors specific for antigens made by these two different bacteria. Uh, these cells can be distinguished by virtue of distinct uh, cell surface markers. Um, and when we now look at the uh, T cells that are specific for SFB uh, in the lamina propria of the small intestine, you see that the vast majority of these cells are ROR gamma T positive. These are the non-pathogenic Th17 cells. Very few cells express FOXP3, the marker for regulatory T cells. On the other hand, with Helicobacter hepaticus, in those cells, what we saw is that the majority of them expressed FOXP3, but also expressed ROR gamma T. So, this is a unique property of bacteria or microbiota-induced uh, regulatory T cells in the intestine, in that they express not only FOXP3, but also uh, ROR gamma T. Uh, the cells that didn't express these markers express another transcription factor, BCL6, as well as a chemokine receptor, CXCR5. And these are follicular helper cells that interact with B lymphocytes to facilitate uh, production of antibodies and affinity maturation of the antibodies. But what we wanted to also look at was what happens when these cells are introduced into IL-10-deficient mice. When the Th17 cells... when the... I'm sorry, when the SFB-specific T cells were introduced into uh, IL-10-deficient mice, there was no change uh, in the type of uh, of uh, Th17 cell that was generated. But with the uh, Helicobacter-specific T cells, we saw something very different. You see the Treg cells almost disappear, and instead, uh, the cells become ROR gamma T alone. And these are pathogenic Th17 cells, the type of cells that I talked about during my first presentation, uh, that are cells that can also make interferon gamma uh, and can have a, have a very different transcriptional profile uh, from the SFB-specific uh, Th17 cells. In looking uh, uh, at what these cells express that might be specific, 
what we and other people noted is that they have a very high level of a transcription factor called CMAF. You can see here in the different quadrants, uh, in when we look at CD4 positive T cells in the colon, uh, you can see that uh, there are FOXP3 positive cells that are positive or negative for ROR gamma T. Those that are negative for ROR gamma T uh, are mostly derived from the thymus, the thymic-derived T cells, uh, Tregs. Uh, but also, uh, you can see that there are those that express a very high level of CMAF, and those are the, uh, the cells that express uh, ROR gamma T. So, we decided to look at whether CMAF might have a role in the function of these cells, and specifically uh, inactivated the CMAF gene in regulatory T cells using uh, a uh, strain of mice in which the Cre recombinase is expressed. Uh, 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 in the uh, FOXP3 locus. And what you can see here is that there are fewer uh, uh, double positive regulatory T cells induced here con compared to control animals, but there are more Th17 cells that express only ROR gamma T. This is shown much more clearly uh, in another experiment uh, that's uh, uh, depicted here, in which we looked uh, at the different types of cells that are specific just for Helicobacter. And in order to do this, we used a tool uh, in which uh, we used fluorescent labeling of those T cells that express uh, receptors uh, for Helicobacter antigen. We used uh, a major histocompatibility complex uh, tetramers, and these are, uh, these are uh, reagents in which MHT class II uh, is uh, uh, complexed with the uh, Helicobacter peptide. And, uh, and these are now tetramerized uh, on a strep avidin uh, molecule that's fluorescently labeled. So, in that way, only those T cells that are specific for that particular antigen combination with MHC2 uh, can, be, uh, uh, can be selected to look at. And so, when we gate on those particular cells and look in mice that are control animals or mice lacking CMAF in their T regulatory T cells, you see in the control that the vast majority of the cells are... Uh, these uh, uh, double-positive regulatory T cells. But uh, in the absence of CMAF, these cells disappear. But what we see is an expansion of these Th17 raw gamma T-positive cells. And this is shown here uh, in this, uh, uh, in this uh, 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 plot over here. You see the loss of regulatory T cells and the acquisition of many more Th17 cells. It turns out these Th17 cells are sufficient for CMAF, the express CMAF. So, what's happening is that they are expanding. And in fact, what we now see is an increase in the size of the spleen and the lymph nodes in these animals. Uh, many more, uh, many more uh, cells in the uh, mesenteric lymph node and also in the large intestine. Uh, and that's accompanied uh, by a uh, spontaneous, uh, uh, a spontaneous colitis in these animals in which uh, the regulatory T cells are, are defective. So, compare the infiltration with uh, many different uh, uh, immune cells here in the epithelial layer uh, of, the, uh, of the mutant mice uh, with uh, control animals uh, shown here. And even with animals lacking ROR gamma T in their uh, regulatory T cells. Now, ROR gamma T does contribute to a degree uh, to... Uh, uh, to the function of these cells, but in its absence, there is no spontaneous colitis, unlike there is uh, with uh, def uh, deficiency of CMAF, uh, as also shown here, looking at multiple different animals. So, what we can then conclude is that, depending on the type of bacterium that the uh, cells in the intestine are exposed to, different types of Th17 cells uh, can, uh, can be differentiated. In the case of uh, SFB, 
uh, in the small intestine, uh, there are non-pathogenic Th17 cells made. In the case of Helicobacter hepaticus, uh, we know that the vast majority of the cells are these specialized regulatory T cells. But an important function of these cells that are CMAF-dependent is to keep uh, pathogenic type of Th17 cells uh, from expanding. And uh, Helicobacter can induce these pathogenic T uh, types of T cells, which also make T-bet and also produce interferon gamma, and they're cells that are also called Th1 star cells uh, in human. Part of the function of the regulatory T cells is through its production of interleukin-10, an anti-inflammatory cytokine uh, that uh, prevents the expansion of the Th17 cells. Uh, but we know that there are additional functions that have yet to be defined. Interleukin-23 is essential for the generation of these uh, inflammatory T cells. Uh, we don't know whether the inflammatory Th17 cells go through a differentiation pathway that involves the non-pathogenic cells initially, uh, but we do know that however they reach uh, this final state of differentiation, IL-23 is uh, required. And IL-23 and IL-10 have a, uh, a mutually antagonistic function uh, and uh, uh, leading either to inflammation uh, or, to, uh, or to regulation. So one of the questions that we have is whether this might be a mechanism for how pathobionts, uh, which are commensal bacteria, can uh, sustain themselves in a host by preventing uh, too much inflammation that could potentially lead to uh, uh, detrimental outcomes of the host uh, and uh, also potentially to expulsion uh, of those uh, particular uh, microbes. Uh, but the question that comes out of, the, uh, of, uh, of these experiments is, how is it that these different types of commensal microbes uh, can induce a differentiation of such diverse types of cells, be they non-pathogenic or pathogenic Th17 cells, Th1 cells, or induced uh, regulatory T cells? Is it that they interact uh, with different types of uh, niches uh, along the length of the intestine, and there there are different types of antigen-presenting cells that produce the cytokines uh, for uh, this kind of induction of these different programs? Or do the uh, bacteria themselves uh, make some kind of product, but perhaps some metabolite, that can uh, lead a common uh, uh, a common type of antigen-presenting cell to be itself differentiate into different types of APCs that will uh, generate uh, different types of uh, cytokines uh, to induce these, uh, uh, these T cells. Uh, I'll tell you about what we know about SFB induction uh, of Th17 cells. Uh, and uh, uh, this work uh, was done by Teruyuki Sano in our laboratory. Uh, and it's been known for many years that SFB uh, in uh, many animals, uh, inhabits the terminal, uh, the terminal ileum, as I mentioned. And this is a quantification, as shown here, along the length of the gut, from duodenum to ileum to colon. And on a log scale, you see that it's at the terminal ileum uh, where SFB is most prominent uh, after colonization of mice from Jackson Laboratory, which lack SFB. Uh, and uh, we then looked at uh, Th17 cells in these different parts of the intestine. And one of the surprises was that uh, uh, whether we looked in the ileum, where we know that SFB is present, or in colon or duodenum, where there's very little SFB, we still see very similar uh, proportions of T cells becoming ROR gamma T positive. And these are, uh, of course, the Th17 cell uh, uh, prime, uh, prime cells that have the potential to make the Th17 cytokines. But what was remarkable was that uh, when we looked in mice in which the IL-17 locus was marked with green fluorescent protein, 
Only in the ileum did we see that the great majority of these Rho gamma T positive cells expressed IL-17A. Uh, we also did a, uh, a survey of the gene expression changes in the intestine after SFB colonization, and only in the ileum we saw uh, that many, uh, many of the genes uh, were upregulated. Uh, and uh, the genes that were most highly upregulated were the serum amyloid A proteins, SAA1 and 2. Uh, and uh, you can see that uh, this occurred only in, in the ileum. Uh, Teruki Sano and Wendy Wong uh, then went on to do a series of experiments using uh, mutant mice as well as uh, antibody blockade. And this is the model that we currently have for how SFB induces the Th17 cells. Um, and initially, after, uh, after uh, binding of SFB to the epithelium, a step that's known to be critical uh, for, for the induction of Th17 cells, uh, there is induction of interleukin-23 production by myeloid cells, particularly macrophages in the intestine. These act on receptor on type 3 and 8 lymphoid cells, uh, which then are activated to make interleukin-22. IL-22 acts on its receptor then on the epithelium, uh, activating STAT3 uh, through its phosphorylation and leading to a change in uh, in gene expression, including the production of SAA1 and 2 and secretion of uh, these proteins within the first three days. At the same time, the antigen-presenting cells migrate through lymphatics to the draining mesenteric lymph node, shown over here, and there, naive T cells with antigen-specific receptors for SFB uh, are polarized, are activated and polarized towards the Th17 lineage, meaning that they express the transcription factor ROR gamma T. And what then happens is that these cells distribute very widely. Not only do they go back into, throughout the intestine, uh, in duodenum, ileum, and colon, they also go to the spleen and to uh, distal uh, lymphoid organs. And perhaps in those areas, uh, regions, they might contribute to autoimmunity. But it's only here, locally in the ileum, where SFB is present and where SAAs are made that the cells now upregulate the production of IL-17A and IL-17F. And that typically occurs within about a week uh, after uh, colonization. So what we can say, then, is that there's a two-step process for the activation uh, of the effector functions of Th17 cells by SFB. The first is a specification of the program in the draining lymph node through expression of ROR gamma T. Uh, this occurs through antigen-presenting cells that express the SFB antigen. Uh, they're monocyte-derived dendritic cells that appear to be critical for doing this. Uh, but the second step only occurs locally in the intestine, and that's where the effector program uh, is, uh, is induced. In this case, uh, we know that the serum amyloid A proteins are important, but one can imagine that there are multiple different types of adjuvants in different conditions, perhaps in different types of uh, conditions leading to autoimmunity uh, that might uh, do likewise. So, this result uh, suggested that to us that the serum amyloid A protein should be... Uh, might be quite important uh, in, uh, in inflammation. We began to study these. These are molecules that have been described for many years, particularly in the field of medicine, where they are known as ac acute phase reactants, uh, proteins that are upregulated in the serum very rapidly uh, uh, after an infection or during the... Uh, during inflammation. There are apolipoproteins associated with high-density lipoprotein in the, uh, in the plasma. And uh, as I said, they are very highly expressed uh, 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 during acute phase responses, uh, but they're made there mostly in the liver uh, and in very uh, large quantities. Uh, they're also elevated in tumors 
and uh, in uh, various tissues during autoimmunity, for example, in synovium of rheumatoid arthritis patients, in the cerebrospinal fluid, and also in the serum of patients with multiple sclerosis. They're very highly conserved during evolution, and there have been a number of receptors reported for these molecules, although none of these receptors are important for what I'll show you uh, for the function in Th17 cells. Um, and, in fact, the functions of SAAs uh, in, uh, in normal physiology uh, are very poorly understood. Um, so we began to look at this, and this is work of Jung John Lee, a postdoctoral fellow in the laboratory, in which he uh, looked at uh, induction of uh, Th17 cells in the in vitro systems that I previously described. Uh, so uh, the condition of non-pathogenic uh, type of differentiation with just IL-6 and TGF-beta leads to induction of uh, IL-17 in cells, in activated T cells. The other condition with more pathogenic uh, function, with IL-23 present, also uh, provides this kind of induction. But you see here that with, when uh, recombinant SAE1 is added, there is a uh, much greater induction observed. Um, and uh, even though there isn't that much of a change uh, in the level of ROR gamma T, with or without SAA, so that suggests that, indeed, SAA here is acting uh, as a second-step uh, inducer of higher cytokine production. But a surprising finding was that with IL-6 alone, which doesn't typically uh, give uh, uh, induction of interleukin-17, now just having SAA present in addition to IL-6 led both to upregulation of ROR gamma T and to the induction of the Th17 cytokines, uh, leading us to believe that, our, that uh, the SAAs have additional functions, uh, even possibly in the early induction uh, of, the, uh, of uh, the Th17 phenotype. We wanted to know whether the SAAs are important uh, in inflammatory disease, so we looked, in this case, uh, at the uh, uh, EAE model, the, the mouse model for multiple sclerosis, and uh, we looked in mice that were wild-type or deficient for the SAA proteins. Um, I should point out that there's a third SAA, which is also induced uh, in the intestine after SFB colonization, uh, and that is SA3, but that is generally made by myeloid cells. And uh, we also uh, knocked out SA3 in the same mice. And what we observed was that in animals that were deficient for the three SAAs, there was a delayed uh, a delayed onset of the disease here, in the acute phase. It was also attenuated disease. And then the chronic phase was milder in the animals that were uh, deficient for the SAAs. Uh, this early acute phase uh, is due to the function of SAA1 and 2 that's derived from liver after immunization with the myelin protein and, uh, and uh, complete Freund's adjuvant. But the chronic phase is dependent on SAA3. And it turns out that SAA3 is made in the central nervous system by microglia, which are uh, myeloid cells, macrophage-like uh, uh, cells in the, in the central nervous system, and also by monocyte-derived cells that infiltrate uh, the central nervous system. So we... Uh, and this just illustrates that uh, there is uh, differential expression of SAA3 uh, here in the CNS and SAA1 and 2 in the liver uh, uh, following, uh, following immunization, here looking just after the peak at day 19 uh, in, these, uh, in these animals, uh, comparing the level of SAA1 and 2 uh, with the, uh, the absence of, of the SAAs in the knockouts. But if we now also look 
uh, further uh, uh, later during the chronic phase of disease at, at day 35, you see that now the level of circulating SAAs can differ widely between the different animals. And uh, there's a correlation in the level of, SA, of, uh, uh, of SAA1 and 2 uh, with the score uh, of uh, the disease. So you see the higher the level of SAAs, uh, the greater the disease uh, severity, suggesting that indeed the SAAs are contributing here uh, to the disease. So, because of what we saw with uh, SAA3 induction in the central nervous system, we decided to also use the transfer model uh, for EAE, which I described during my first presentation, in which we take uh, myelin-specific T cells that have a T cell receptor specific uh, for, the, uh, for the, myelin, uh, uh, the myelin antigen, and polarize these in vitro in the presence of interleukin-23 to render them pathogenic. And then inject these into mice that are wild-type, or deficient for SAA3. And see, here we see a very big difference in that the SAA3 deficient mice are very effectively protected uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, EAE induction and from the severity uh, of the disease when there is a little bit of disease uh, in these animals. Uh, now, what does this have to do with the microbiota? Well, it turns out that depending on the kinds of antibiotics that are used to treat animals, the, uh, the EAE uh, will either be observed uh, or will be prevented. And this is uh, very likely dependent on the kind of microbiota that one has. In this case, it's microbiota from mice that are obtained from the Jackson Laboratory. But what you see here is that when the animals are treated with ampicillin or vancomycin prior to induction of EAE, they are essentially completely protected from the disease. And also, in the transfer model of EAE, the animals are also protected if they are treated with ampicillin. Uh, so, the microbiota then have a critical role here, and leading us to the model that uh, I'm showing here. And that is that there is a first step uh, in which the microbiota polarize uh, uh, cells in the draining lymph node to become ROR gamma T positive cells that have the potential uh, to be, uh, to be uh, effector cells. But then, after exposure to SA1 and 2, these cells uh, upregulate. Uh, the uh, TH17 cytokines, IL-17A and F, they also upregulate production of a chemokine receptor, CCR6, uh, another target of ROR gamma T. And CCR6 is critical for these cells to be able to traffic to various tissues, particularly to the central nervous system. And then there's yet, yet an additional step in which these cells, when they enter the central nervous system, uh, can induce some local inflammation that leads to production of SA3 by microglia. And the SA3 then works in a feed-forward mechanism, acting on these cells, leading to production of additional cytokines, like GMCSF, which has been implicated as important in this disease, also interferon gamma, and leading to uh, pathogenesis and to chronic inflammation. This multi-step kind of model uh, can be demonstrated uh, in other systems as well. And I'll show you one other example here, which is a very different example. It's an example of a model called maternal immune activation, in which uh, uh, animals during pregnancy uh, are either infected with a virus or injected with an immune stimulant like poly-IC, which activates toll-like receptor uh, 3 and leads to, uh, to inflammation. And uh, what's been described over the years is that uh, these animals, uh, if injected uh, midway during pregnancy, at day 12 and a half of gestation, have offspring that have behavioral defects that resemble autism. Uh, and this has been suggested as a, as a model for autism because 
there have been reports that, uh, that the children of mothers who have had uh, uh, infections during pregnancy are more likely to, to suffer from autism spectrum disorder. Uh, and I'm not going to take you through the experiments that were done here, primarily by Jun Hu, when he was a postdoctoral fellow in the laboratory. Jun is now a, uh, uh, a faculty member at Harvard Medical School. Uh, but here, the microbiota, again, are critical. It turns out that the first signal, uh, having the appropriate microbiota, is essential in the mother. If the mother has a Th17-prone uh, uh, type of microbiota, uh, that can now lead... Uh, to ROR gamma T-positive cells that are receptive to a second signal that leads to the production of IL-17A. Uh, and the second signal is supplied by the poly-IC injection, but also by pregnancy. Uh, it turns out that pregnancy is critical for now the production of uh, interleukin-17 uh, uh, and its elevation in the serum. And through mechanisms that are not yet understood, the IL-17A crosses the placenta into the fetus, and uh, there acts on receptors in specific parts of the brain of the fetus, uh, and that leads now to a cortical phenotype that can be... Um, one can uh, observe this due to... as a morphological defect in the uh, formation of the layers of the cortex, but it also leads to a behavioral phenotype. So these different examples that I have uh, given you uh, suggest that there are multiple steps in the induction of effector T cells. In this case, in, with T helper 17 cells, we've shown that microbiota are critical for setting the stage, priming the, uh, the naive T cells, uh, in the case of Th17 cells, through expression of ROR gamma T. Uh, but then uh, additional signals are required in the form of serum amyloid A proteins uh, or uh, innate responses uh, uh, following infections with viruses. Uh, that lead to uh, the cell's differentiating effector functions. And these can be both homeostatic and pathogenic functions. Uh, with SFB, uh, they're homeostatic functions that protect uh, epithelial surfaces. Uh, with, uh, uh, other, uh, uh, with other uh, uh, examples that I've shown you, uh, the cells can become pathogenic. They can also make interferon gamma uh, and uh, lead to uh, autoimmune diseases. Um, but... Uh, and I showed you an example with... Uh, a neuropathology uh, uh, mediated by uh, IL-17 in the mother. Uh, but we know that uh, T cells can also have uh, pro- or anti-tumor effects uh, after their differentiation. And there's been a lot of interest uh, recently in trying to understand what is the relationship between autoimmune diseases and tumor-specific immunity. And in particular, does the microbiota uh, contribute in the same way to both of these? Uh, as it's been uh, reported that, depending on the type of microbiota that uh, a patient harbors, he or she will uh, respond accordingly to immunotherapy for various cancers. Uh, the kind of in immunotherapy that is being applied these days is uh, so-called checkpoint immunotherapy that relieves uh, the T cells breaks uh, on uh, attacking tumors. Uh, the molecule PD-1 is particularly important because it is present on activated cells, particularly activated cytotoxic T cells, uh, and shuts down the ability of the T cell uh, to respond uh, to, to tumor cells. And anti-PD-1 is effective uh, in a number of different tumors, particularly in melanomas, where about 20% of patients respond quite well to the therapy, also in lung cancer and non-small cell lung cancers 
uh, this can be, uh, in some patients, quite effective. But it's not understood why the majority of patients do not respond to this kind of checkpoint immunotherapy. Uh, but what's been reported recently by the laboratory of Laurence uh, Zitvogel and also uh, uh, by the Wargo group in, in Texas uh, is that uh, depending on whether patients have been treated with antibiotics, uh, they, res- they uh, progress uh, differently uh, in, uh, uh, in response to uh, checkpoint immunotherapy. So you can see here that the, the median survival is uh, it's much shorter if the patients have been treated with a course of antibiotics uh, either just before or during, uh, uh, during therapy. Uh, they, there is uh, a, a faster relapse as well as a shorter lifespan uh, in these particular individuals. And it turns out that the microbiota differs. Both groups found uh, changes, differences in microbiota in responders uh, versus uh, uh, non-responders. And uh, in this case, I show you an experiment from the Wargo group in which uh, they transferred fetus, uh, fecal material. They did... Uh, fecal microbiome transfer from responders and non-responders into germ-free mice, and then subjected these mice uh, to to injection of uh, uh, a melanoma, uh, and then treated these mice with anti-PD-1 or PD-L1, which is the ligand uh, for PD-1, and asked uh, what the effect uh, might be of the microbiota. And you can see here that the microbiota from responders uh, uh, was much better uh, in controlling the growth of the tumor, both the volume and uh, the total size of the tumor, uh, as shown over here. And individual types of bacteria, like, uh, uh, for example, Ackermansia, were described as being associated uh, with the beneficial response here. So, what we therefore think is that upon antibiotic treatment uh, in these different uh, individuals, the beneficial bacteria are eliminated, and uh, uh, there is defective priming uh, of the immune response, and the tumor cells can grow much better. But if one has the immune-potentiating microbes present, these are presumably uh, microbes that can interact with the immune system, prime the immune system, leading to to either primed antigen-presenting cells uh, and or uh, better activation of the T cells. Now these T cells will express uh, PD-1, uh, upon activation, PD-1 can be blocked uh, by anti-PD-1 or anti-PD-L1 on the target cells, uh, and uh, that can lead to much better uh, tumor cell killing. Uh, so, how does the microbiota contribute uh, in these processes to autoimmunity uh, as well as anti-tumor immunity uh, and to inflammation in general? Uh, there are a couple of models that one can propose. One is that the induction uh, 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 by the microbiota is of those T cells that have receptors that are cross-reactive with self-antigen. And then, uh, the, such that those, cross, those uh, uh, same T cells that are induced are the ones that will now act either on uh, self-tissues in autoimmunity or on the tumor uh, during immunotherapy. This is called the molecular mimicry model. But the alternative model is that there's nonspecific activation of host innate responses. And that results in activation of the uh, host or tumor-reactive T cells, uh, basically lowering the threshold of activation of these cells. And this is a T cell threshold model. So, uh, the jury is still out as to which of these models is uh, most often... uh, uh, can most often explain this phenomenon. It is possible that in different cases, uh, each of these uh, uh, might be active. But uh, what I want to leave you is with is that the microbiome composition 
contributes to immunological health. Uh, I showed you examples of homeostatic protective microbiota, like segmented filamentous bacteria. Uh, there are also examples of anti-inflammatory microbiota that are protective, uh, but these might be uh, uh, protecting from autoimmunity, but might be potentially harmful in anti-tumor immunity, because clostridia induce regulatory T cells, uh, which in tumors uh, may actually uh, uh, prevent a strong anti-tumor response. And then there are pro-inflammatory microbiota that contribute uh, to enhanced anti-tumor immune responses, like acromasia mucinifila. But uh, we also know that patients subject to checkpoint immunotherapy are much more likely to have uh, very harmful uh, autoimmune responses, and it is possible that the composition of their microbiota contributes to autoimmunity uh, versus uh, just having a selected response uh, against the tumor. Uh, I will leave you there and uh, acknowledge those who contributed to the work. Uh, Mo Shu and Maria Pokrowski worked on the regulatory T cells induced by Helicobacter. Uh, Teruki Sano uh, uh, and Wendy Wang, who is now in San Diego, contributed uh, to uh, understanding how SFB induces uh, Th17 cells. Uh, Jun Yang Lee worked on the uh, serum amyloid A, and Varsha Raghavan uh, has been working on the antibiotic effects. Uh, on uh, the EAE model. Uh, a number of uh, post former postdocs contributed to this, particularly uh, Ivo Ivanov uh, on the uh, SFB story initially, uh, and Benny Yang on showing the specificity of the uh, SFB-induced uh, T cells, and then Jun Hu is uh, uh, responsible for all of our autism work. We had a lot of uh, collaborative help uh, from uh, Dan Kua and Brent McKenzie uh, at, uh, at Merck, Kenya Hande and Koji Atarashi uh, in Japan at Keio University, and Fred DeBeer in Kentucky, who provided us with the SA1 and 2 mutant mice. So, thank you for your attention. Visit us at iBiology.org for more free talks from the world's top scientists. This talk was brought to you with support from the National Science Foundation, the National Institute of General Medical Sciences, and the Lasker Foundation.